We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Ryan, let's dive into some questions. And obviously, there's some questions about the receiving core, and there's some other questions that we'll get into as well. So let's just kind of take it from the top. Start off with the USMA87. Said, nope, the lack of bodies for a variety of reasons. Development is one. They had a number drop for either academics or perceived lack of opportunity. BK had a legacy of waiting to play receivers. I agree that that's true, but I don't think that's the reason they lost five guys from their depth chart the year before. It had more to do with a lack of faith in the person leading that room. It's really as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Here's another question from Brain, Blaine Tiller. Do you think the change in coaching and change of quarterback, we might see more tunnel bubble screens, feel there were times last year they could have come in handy and weren't employed by much. I don't think the coaching, the changing coach and the receiver is the reason for that, Ryan. I think yeah. Blaine could be right, but I think it's more about what we talked about earlier, which it's a, it's a skill set that is more similar to conducive to that like we saw in 2014 and 2015 when the receiving core was dominated by Will Fuller, Chris Brown, Amir Carlisle, and in 2014, C.J. Procise, who was the starting slot receiver. So I think the skill set is far more conducive to the tunnels, the bubble screens, the crossers, the the, the now screens and things like that. So I, I'd be surprised and disappointed if we didn't see more of that. But I, I don't think the coaching change is the reason why or the quarterback is the reason why. I think that concept is geared more towards do you have the receivers and do you have the playmakers and also the linemen to execute those concepts, especially like the tunnel mm-hmm. requires a little bit of a an O-line blocking. Oh, receive, O-line doesn't have anything to do with like bubble screens and now screens, but like with the tunnel and some of those other things, I think the line has an impact, but it's more so about the skill of the receivers. Agree. Agree. Yep. You need the right, right blend of receivers to be able to run it. And you mentioned like when they had Amir Carlisle, Will mm-hmm. Fuller, those guys were all quick twitch. They could right. work in space, do all that type of stuff, right? Like Amir Car- Carlisle literally played running backs at a point in his college career, played wide receiver at a point of his college career. So he kind of has that. I think one thing I'll say, Brian, is if Notre Dame is truly going to more RPO concepts out of their looks, then there are more natural screen game stuff that's going to happen out of that, right? Like, oh, we're going to throw a quick bubble when the number when we have the numbers advantage, blah, 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 blah. So I think, Blaine, I think you are going to see more of that. And I think that you have guys like 
Avery Davis, I know can do it right. Like he's has a background to yeah, as a, as a quarterback run threat. He's got some space player uh, style to him. I think Lorenzo styles could run some screens. I, I even think honestly, Deion Colsey could run some screens. It's going to look yeah. a lot different than a, right. than a Lorenzo styles is going to look, or Avery Davis is going to look, but that doesn't mean that they can't do it. It's just like you kind of said before, the process is going to be the same. It's just going to look a little different. Right. So. Yep. Thomas Flanagan asks, is the lack of depth due to the lack of development? No. I, again, I, I I think the lack of development was a problem, but I think guys left because of a lack of faith, a lack of honesty, a lack of communication. There was a whole lot of reasons why kids left, and it wasn't the same for every kid. The only guy that left in normal circumstances was Micah Jones, who was just, you know, burying the depth chart and had graduated. Yeah. You know, Lawrence Keyes was basically – he felt lied to. Right. And, and he felt that he could no longer trust the the, pe- the people, especially the, the position coach that was making that case. You know, other kids just felt like the coach didn't care about him. He didn't try to coach him, didn't try to work with him, didn't try to you know do those things. And so, like, why am I going to stay somewhere when the coach doesn't spend any time trying to coach me? You know, like I, I've, I've been told that like receivers would go young receivers that were on scouting would go almost the whole season and almost never get any instruction from Dell. Like other than just like during the individual periods, of the beginning of practice. Because they would watch film with the scout coaches. They wouldn't watch film with the receivers coach, which I think is asinine because you don't have to be running a route to learn something from the route. It just mm-hmm. it, That's part of the development problem. That wasn't a Dell Alexander decision as much as that was a head ball coach decision. But the, the receivers coach then, so when that's the case, then you make the time to meet with those young receivers to get them ready to go. And that just wasn't something that was being done. So it was, it was downright embarrassing. To be honest with you, I mean, I held That's a lot. I, I I criticized him a lot and held a lot back. And you know, I've always said I, I thought he was a good guy and all those kind of things. And you know, I let's say I had a conversation after the season that made me kind of question that a little bit. That and I just really realized like, boy, these kids just completely got screwed the last few years. They just they had someone who didn't believe in them and just didn't want to put in the work, which is pretty embarrassing. Kept collecting paychecks though. Especially when you're a coach, you're, I mean, uh, you're a teacher by trade, right? Like that does, that's mm-hmm. just very, that's very unfortunate. I feel bad for those kids. Yep. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Notre Dame 2164. The more I hear and watch film of Eli Raritan and Tobias Merriweather, the more excited and hyped I get. I think those two are going to be special, not to mention Holden Stace, who I have high hopes for. Well, I mean, I, Eli Raritan yeah. has a 147 10-yard split. So Yeah, man. I mean, special, he, man. He, he would have a, his 10-yard split reported is faster than all but two receivers and one DB uh, at last year's NFL scouting combine. So that's amazing. That's absolutely yeah. amazing. We're saying that with the Supreme Sarke. And Gen- he did Gen- it five months after tearing his ACL. Generational, really. Generational. Yes. yes. But but all kidding aside, yes, I am very excited about both Tobias and Eli Raritan because, I mean, you want to talk about mismatch weapons? Those kids have so much length. My, like, I mean, Eli Joking Raritan. Joking aside, can, though, Eli Raritan yeah. is a 6'6 guy that can flat out fly. I oh, mean, 100%. All joking 100%. aside about the 10-yard yeah. split. You know, I, I saw that exaggeration is coming from somewhere. You know, right. I mean, it's because he can run. I saw someone compare him to Kyle Rudolph yesterday, and I was like, this kid can run a lot faster than Rudolph, right? Like, he's yeah, different a type of different yeah, athlete. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Kyle was a little stiff, straight line kind of guy. Yeah. Yep. Eli's a little different. He's a little different. I mean, I, this is going to – he right now is more in the Kyle Pitts mold of receiver than he is in the yeah. Kyle Rudolph mold of receiver. I'm not saying he's Kyle Pitts, it's but he's he's gonna do do more of those things than what Kyle Rudolph did. And Kyle Rudolph was a heck of a player, don't get me wrong. Just mm-hmm. stylistically, now I understand why, because he's now wearing number he's a six six kid that was a really good high school basketball player that's going to Notre Dame and wearing number nine. I get the comparisons. I sure. totally get it. But the height, the number, and the position are about all that they have in common. They're just complete. And that's not a knock. Kyle, Ham- Kyle Rudolph was a five-star recruit and a great player when he was healthy at Notre Dame. You just have to hope that that's one thing they don't have in common is the injury. That would be, because that's the thing. Kyle Rudolph could just never stay healthy at Notre Dame. When he was on the field, he was really good. Yeah. And I, if you want to compare him to Notre Dame, he's more Tyler Eifert than he is Kyle Rudolph. If you that's want to keep one. it in the Notre Dame tree, he's more that, you know, than, than, than the other. Nothing wrong with that, man. No. No. <laughs> Kenny Moore says uh, Styles might end up being the best, but I think Merriweather and Colsey have higher potential when looking at the next level. It's, I think it depends on what you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a little you bit. You and I, right? yeah, it's, you and I have had this conversation before. Because yeah. you think I, it's Coles, you think it's Styles still. I still think it is Styles because I think he can do more from an alignment perspective. And I just think there's, I don't know. Like, I just, I think that he's a player that the NFL is going to value very highly if he hits his ceiling. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not saying that they won't for Merriweather or Colsey. I think they will as well. I'm just saying if Colsey hits his ceiling, I think Colsey's more of an, a traditional X that's going to go into the boundary and, you know, going to win some vertically and snap off routes and do all that type of stuff, which is fine. But it's just, I typically tend to value guys that I can move around a little bit more. And for right. those three, I think I can move styles around a little more than Merriweather and Coles, even though Merriweather can move around a little bit. So I, I, I think that for me, I agree with Kenny from a impact and college standpoint, if they all reach their ceilings, 
I could see. I could see maybe De- I could see Dion being the highest drafted because he's such a freak size wise. If he goes out and runs certain things, however, I, I, I'm not going to push back on what you said because I'm just looking at the draft. I mean, how else do you justify Henry Ruggs being and Jalen Rieger being taken ahead of Justin Jefferson? It wasn't off of their college production. It sure as heck wasn't off their college production. It was based off the speed, the NFL covets the speed. Now, Justin Jefferson ran a really fast time for a 6'4 guy. He ran a 4-4-3. That's moving for a 6'4 guy. But as you see, teams tend to take more of the smaller guys. And Drake London was a bit of an anomaly this year. And I still don't think he should have been the number one receiver. You and I have talked about that. You're much higher on him. You're much higher on him than I am. But after that, it's Garrett Wilson, six feet tall. Chris Olave's not even six feet tall. Jameson Williams is what, 6'1"? Jahan Dotson's 5'10". It's not till Traylon Burks that you start kind of getting to a guy that may be more stylistically similar to what a Deion Colsey may be. Mm-hmm. Then you look at the year before, Jamar Chase is 6'1". You had Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Kadarius Toney, Rashad Bateman. I mean, the, the cl- closest thing you have to a quote-unquote big receiver in that group is Rashad Bateman, who's like, what, 6'1"? I mean, I'm looking – I mean, you, you, not till what, Terrace Marshall? Would he be Terrace the Marshall. first kind of bigger guy that was taken – he was the 10th receiver taken in that draft. Again, some yep. of these guys taken ahead of Terrace Marshall, I promise you did not have the production in college that Terrace Marshall had. But they were really shifty, fast guys, and that's sort of the the, the direction that the NFL is going in a lot of instances with, with these receivers. And so it's a, it's a space game. Yeah, it's going now. exactly. Yeah. Same thing the year before, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Jalen Rieger, all taken before Justin Jefferson, and Brandon Ayuk taken before T. Higgins and Michael Pittman. Now, look. Brandon Ayuk's done a nice job with the 49ers, correct? He's done okay, right? I mean, you follow closer than I am. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. I thought I thought you no. were asking an, an no, open-ended no. one. There. No, because yes. I, I, I know he's done some nice things. I don't know necessarily he's, he's, looking at the production. He's, he's he dealt a- with a little bit of injury, and then I think he was in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse at one point mm-hmm. or something, but he, he ended up, I think, having a pretty solid second half yeah. of the year this he's year. He's had 748 yards in 12 yep. games as a rookie, say 126 yards in 16, 17 games this year. You compare that to T. Higgins, who he was drafted ahead of, and guess what? His production isn't as good, right? Because I think T. Higgins is the is the better player. So I just that's that's the reality. I mean, you know, Mike Michael Pittman's another one. Michael Pittman's had more production so far than Brandon Ayuk, but he was drafted behind him. Why? 40 time and the fit part. So I still think there's value in in that in the bigger guys, but I do think to yeah. your point, Ryan, if you're just looking at trends, I mean, because look. If you're going to properly evaluate the NFL draft and project guys, you have to look at trends. I mean, you have to. If the NFL is drafting only mobile quarterbacks in the first round, guess what? That doesn't that that's you know you, you have to pay attention to that. If they're only drafting six foot five pocket passers, you have to look at that too, right? I mean, that's that's part of following the draft, in my opinion. Is yep. If you're talking about projecting what the NFL will do, but in college, I don't disagree with Kenny, and I I think that's a great. It backs up my point too, Ryan. We could sit here and have an honest debate about which receiver has the highest upside. I think it's a good thing to have because it means that there's multiple options. It's not like I'll give you a perfect example. The 2015 receiving core, mm-hmm. in my opinion, was probably the best that Notre Dame has had of the last 10 years. Okay. Production-wise, impact-wise, just you know, three guys instead of just two. You could argue 2018. But I'll probably go with 2015 because I think the 2015 group was was pretty clutch as well, and you had the best player of the group. But here's the thing about that group. It was one great player and a bunch of complimentary players. 
that that's where I think the 2018 debate could be had because by the end of the year, Chase Claypool was outplaying Miles Boykin. If you go look at 2018, the reason I think that I'm excited about the present and future of the current receiving core is even though there's issues, I love the freshmen and sophomores because the fact is you do have the potential. As I said, if Dion gets to 90% of his potential, if, if, if Tobias gets to 90% of his potential and Lorenzo gets to 90% of his potential by the 2023 season, that's three dudes. That's not one dude and two complimentary players. That's three dudes. And I think that's what you're looking at. Like when you look at the great receiving cores, they have more than one dude. I'm talking like the great meaning like nationally with a few exceptions, you know, like Alabama with Judy and Jalen Waddle and all those guys in 2020, Alabama, before Jalen Waddle got hurt, they had two dudes, you know, 2018 Clemson, two dudes, Ohio state this past year, three dudes, you know what I mean? Like legitimate dudes, uh, Alabama last year, I would, I would consider John Mechie a dude in 2021. I didn't think he was a Agreed. dude in 2020. He was kind of coming along and he did some nice things when Waddle got hurt, but he wasn't like that. He wasn't what he was in 2021 before the injuries. Yep. And so I think that's really that next level because this is what Ohio State did to Notre Dame in 2015 in the Fiesta Bowl. They basically game plan to not let Will Fuller beat them. And that's why, you know, Will finally rips off an 80-yard pass. But by that time, it was like it was like 38 to 21. It was like the game was kind of not really competitive anymore. But they just basically said, well, you're not going to beat us, Will Fuller. Nobody else can step up and make a play. <laughs> and I think that's the thing that Notre Dame needs to get to is like they – if you want to take so if you want to take Lorenzo out of the game, that's fine. Don't worry about it. We got you, right? If you want to take Tobias out of the game or Dion out of the game or Michael Mayer out of the game or whatever, that's fine. Pick your poison because we're going to beat you with somebody. And I think that's what needs to happen. That that like you you need at least two of these guys to step up and be that guy. I don't think they all three have to be the best of them their version of themselves, but at least two of them have to step up. In in my opinion, Ryan, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that's what I think could separate whether or not Notre Dame can become the receiving core can be that championship found, you know, that group that, hey, you won because you had a great receiving core like we saw from other teams. Yeah, no, I, I think I really like the wide receiver group for Notre Dame this year because I think that there's a lot of different styles, right? Like it's not, that's uh, it sounds weird that there's actually Lorenzo Styles in the class and I just said there's a lot of styles. I wish there was mm-hmm. a lot of Lorenzo Styles. Yeah, in, I wish in the there receiver. was another Styles on the team, but he, he went somewhere uh, else. We don't talk about that. We don't talk yeah, about I know. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you have every traits that you would want in this wide receiver room it's just i mean people ask have asked about chancy stucky throughout the chat it is about development there's a lot of pressure on on coach stucky because i mean the talent is there and it's probably unfair to ask so much of it in 2022 but the talent is there it's no mm-hmm. doubt about it so i'm, I'm excited to see what what kind of happens because for a few years, it was just about lack of development. It mm-hmm. was not a lack of talent. So let's see what it looks like with a little bit of development here. So, Ryan, some other news just broke on yes. Twitter. Yes, it did. Noah Rogers has committed to Ohio State. That is big news for Notre Dame because I do not, I do not see them taking a fifth receiver. They now have four receivers committed. They have Br- yep. Bryson Rogers is already committed. They now have Cardinal Tate. And they have Brandon Innes and now Noah Rogers. So that is big for Notre Dame because Ohio State was the big concern we had about Rico Flores. Yes. And now that they've taken Noah Rogers, I just don't see them taking. I don't. Number one, I don't see them taking Rico. Number mm-hmm. two, I don't see Rico jumping on board with that. 
right? To I be, mean, to be the fifth guy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just don't see that. So I think that bodes extremely well, extremely well for Notre Dame at this point in time. So agree. Um, I think that's I think that's a good one. I think it's a very very good move, very good uh, situation for Notre Dame. There's there's no question. There's no question about it. Timeout. Tom asks in rewatching the spring game, I was impressed with Tosh Baker's improvement. His feet, which were once his weakness, are now a positive. Do you see the same type of progress? Did you have a chance to watch him in the spring game, Ryan? Yeah, I thought he looked better. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, the the tough part about being six eight sometimes is sometimes you're a little long legged, so his coordination sometimes is going to be a little tough, and balance kind of comes from that, right? And Tosh was always a guy that, like, you know, you need to continue to develop the core strength, and he needs to play with more confidence and doing all that type of stuff. And development was not great for his first couple years on campus, but I think he looked better, Brian. Yeah, I I wouldn't say yeah. it was great, but I I thought progress yeah. for sure, absolutely. And I did hear that he improved a lot down the stretch in practice. And obviously he had great things to say about working for Harry Eastan. And that was something interesting we talked about yesterday that I, that I didn't think about. We were talking about who replaces the, the starting offensive tackles if Joe Walt and Blake Fisher leave after 2023. And because of the COVID year, I didn't realize this. Tobias Tosh Baker would actually still have two years of eligibility after that. So basically he didn't play in 2020. And in 2021, he played, he was basically a freshman this past year. And so he could still have, you know, he could still have that option of potentially being at least a one-year starter, but potentially a two-year starter for Notre Dame. So it's it's quite interesting to see how that could all play out. Very, very interesting. And yeah, if I'm Notre Dame, I think they may think about that and maybe only play him four games this year if he's not thrust into the starting lineup, if there's not an injury, which is kind of what they did. I'm trying to think who they did that for last year. Uh, Drew Pine. That's part. I think part of the reason they didn't play Drew Pine beyond four games this year is because they wanted to preserve that year of eligibility because 2020 didn't count. I mean, 2020, it's like it didn't exist for guys, for players eligibility-wise. And people didn't understand. It didn't exist. It's not a real thing. So Drew Pine basically was a freshman this year. Because he only played in four games, he's going into his junior year of college as a redshirt freshman, So, which is just nuts. But you know, and they didn't expand the rosters beyond one year. That's the other stupid thing about it, right? You know, so whatever. Since yeah, they're idiots. Let's get to some more questions. De- Timeout. Tom also asks: Adele Alexander had a good resume and was rehired fairly quickly. Mm, no, he wasn't. Uh, what went wrong at Notre Dame? Was it purely being overly imitated uh, or Im- Im- in- intimidated by Brian Kelly, causing him to be indecisive and the inability to function? First of all, Dell was not hired quickly. It took a while before Georgia Tech hired him. Georgia Tech hired him at the end of their spring practice. He was unemployed for two months, uh, over two months, to be honest with you. Almost, uh, let me see here. I think he was hired. Let me let me find, uh, it might have been April when he was hired. Just give me a second. I want to I find this here real quick. Uh, okay, he was hired on March 31st. He was basically fired on January 1st. So that's almost four full months of him being unemployed. And he was hired by Chip Long, the guy who brought him to Notre Dame. So if Chip and, – and he was only hired there because their receivers coach left for the NFL. If that doesn't happen, he may still be unemployed. So I'm, I'm going to somewhat disagree with that. I think the thing that went wrong with Dell was a couple things. Number one is I do believe that Brian Kelly bullied a lot of his coaches. And and – just the way it was. And I don't want to rehash that. And I think some guys just said, F it, I'm going to still do my job. And others were, were impacted by it. I've told the story of he was getting ready to put a freshman in the South Florida game in 2020. And then Brian Kelly just destroyed one of the freshmen of the game. He looked at it and said, I don't think now's a good time for that. 
that's just i mean just in, disgusting you know like uh, first of all that shouldn't matter your job is to coach these kids up not save your own butt that's that was that was him he didn't want to get ripped because he put a young kid in the game that's basically what it comes down to and i think the other part of it is just a lack of I, I really don't want to speak to his character, but I just think just an unwillingness to rock the boat an unwillingness to put in the work to, to get where he needs to get to. I think that, that once chip long left, there wasn't as much of a, uh, he didn't have the same relationship there. And, and, and chip, you know, when you hire a guy like Tommy Reese, who's younger, it's going to be harder for him to sort of speak to a veteran coach in a way that a Chip Long could, who'd known Dell for as long as he'd known him and had a much more sort of personality. But I think there's a lot of factors. And then the other part, he just didn't work hard. Some guys just don't work. They're just not hard workers. And they don't work hard until they're forced to work hard. And there was no accountability with Brian Kelly from a work ethic standpoint, because how can you hold people accountable when you're not there? So I think all those things factored into it. So, um, But I, I, I did think he had a good resume and i do think del alexander was a good coach at, at one time he just wasn't at notre dame and i hope he turns it around to georgia tech because that'd be good for chip but uh, yeah he was not good he was not good at notre dame that's for darn sure john a1 asks if lorenzo styles is who irish breakdown expects he'll be in 2022 and healthy and is not the leader in receiving yards who has the potential to be the guy we're not expecting so taking away Michael Mayer, yeah, we're talking about receiver. It would be if Michael Mayer <laughs> of a receivers, receivers, yeah. right? I. Well, that's so tough. That's tough. Do you have an easy answer for that? Like that's a. I I think it would be one of the boundaries. I think it would be it would be like Deion Colsey, just because of the nature of the position. We've talked about this. The last time Notre Dame's had a a, a W, had anyone other than the W? The the boundary position is the W. The last mm-hmm. time a W didn't lead the team in receptions, lead the receiving core in receptions uh, or in receiving yards was 2015 with Will Fuller. Mm-hmm. So it's just, and then before Will Fuller, it was still the W. I mean, you know, that's the position Michael Floyd played. It's what Q play, EQ played. It's what Chase, that's what Miles Boykin played. It's what Chase Claypool moved to in 2019 and played. It's mm-hmm. what Javon McKinley played. It's what Kevin Austin played. Just the nature of what the offense has been, that would be my answer. And I think we've discussed that before. So it's not necessarily that he would be that, that best guy, although it would be nice if he did step up and play that well. Like if, if, if Lorenzo is who we think he is and someone else leads the team in receiving yards, that's not Lorenzo, assuming he's healthy, which is what the question says that this Notre Dame receiving core is going to be really good. <laughs> it's going to be really good. The other guy who could be Ryan, honestly, is Braden Lindsay. Because here's the thing, Braden Lindsay could do that on way fewer catches. Yeah. I mean, you know, like like Lorenzo could go for 60 catches for 800 yards, right? Like, would that kind of season shock you? No. Would that level of production shock you? You know, because you got to think there's going to be RPOs. That's 13.3 yards per, per catch, right? I mean, you know, a lot of RPOs, stuff like that. I'd probably think he'd be closer to 14. So, like, you know, let's just say he averages 14 yards a catch. That gets him to 840 yards on 60 catches. I mean, would it shock you if Braden Lindsay had like 850 yards on 40 catches, you know, or 45 catches? Not yeah. really. You know, mm-hmm. not really. I don't, I wouldn't predict it, but it wouldn't shock me. Right. You know, just because, and a lot of it would be because of Lorenzo and Michael Mayer, you know, so he's getting all these one on ones and he's hitting these these bombs. Cause that's the thing is, you know, if Lorenzo gets to hundred yards, it's on six or seven catches more often than not. Right. 
mm-hmm. for Braden Lindsay to get to 100 yards, he only needs three. You know, yeah. I mean, just the way he plays, he only needs three. So it could be something like that. You know, that would be that would be the other possibility. And Fair. the W argument also goes to Tobias Merriweather. It could be Tobias or Dion, just because of the position group. Those would be my potential guesses for that. Yeah, one. I guess I would also defer to the boundary, whoever is the main volume getter there, because it just right. makes most sense. Yeah. John A. One also asks if Lorenzo style is Lorenzo Styles skill size and skill set similar to a Tat Chad Johnson or a Tory Holt. I don't really see Tory Holt. I could get on board with Chad a little bit. Chad was kind of more like cat quick route runner type, could work inside and out a little bit. I don't think that's a bad comparison. Tory Holt, people underestimate him a little bit, Brian, how fast mm-hmm. he was. He ran like four three six coming out or something. Yeah. Like Tory could run, yeah. man. He could yeah. just because he was a really good route runner, people thought like, oh, he, he's just a not super fast guy, but he's like more flexible route runner. But like Tory could move a little bit. I, I so mm-hmm. Chad, I don't think I think there's some stylistic comparisons to Chad. That one makes a little more sense for me. Ryan Wilkie. We're going to get into some quarterback stuff here because Ryan gave a super chat. So I'm going to answer some questions here that Ryan posed about this. And I've had a lot of texts and questions about this from people last couple of days. And I'm not quite sure why, Uh, but we're going to address it. Ryan asks a question. It's being reported that Notre Dame and CJ Carr expedited his decision because of Dante's indecision. Um, I've had several people ask me that, Ryan, and I thought we were pretty clear about that. Uh, No. Notre Dame did not expedite CJ Carr's decision. And and I'd be surprised if somebody was actually reporting that because that's not even close to being accurate. CJ Carr tried to commit to Notre Dame back in March, but his dad wanted to slow things down. He wanted to take more visits and, and, you know, get out and see things. And after a while, CJ just said, okay, enough of the visits. I want to commit. Notre Dame did not push CJ Carr to commit. Uh, CJ decided he was ready. If anything, Notre Dame tried to slow things down on CJ more so than the other uh, for a while there. So just because they wanted CJ to be sure as well, you know, get out and see places and all those kind of things. Because no school wants to have a five-star quarterback decommit. Nobody does. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, if that's being reported that Notre Dame expedited his recruitment, that is uh, wholly inaccurate. And that's that's based on intel, Ryan, that we've received on both sides of this conversation, Notre Dame's and CJ Carr's. So that would be inaccurate. Yes. And um, the the second question, has Notre Dame dropped Dante Moore? Uh, no. Also no. No. I, I don't know. Is somebody actually saying that? That No, they have not dropped Dante Moore. Uh, so, that, I mean, we're not going to get into the, the conversation about Dante too much, but there's just there's been a lot of stuff said that's just flat out inaccurate, and I don't know where it's coming from. I don't care where it's coming from, uh, but what I've told you guys all on the message board is true. Uh, it's where things stand, and if I have new intel, I'm gonna. Because look, here's what we could do, Ryan. We mm-hmm. can talk about Dante all the time, and every time I write a Dante Moore article, I guarantee it'd be the most read article that day. hundred percent, guarantee it. Yep. And I could take five different takes on it and just say, hey, look, this is the latest we're hearing. And and but we're not going to do that because um, that's just not who we are. I don't care what other people do. They can do whatever they want. That's their business. I And I'm not bemoaning it. You can run your business however you want. That's cool. I'm, it's America. Go for it, buddy. I'm just we're just going to run ours a certain way. Ours isn't better or worse. It's just how we're going to do it. Uh, so I don't know what's being reported, but I can tell you that that's not an accurate statement, nor is it accurate for someone to say that Notre Dame 
sped up or expedited or whatever else the decision for ZJ Carr. That is not even close to being true. And uh, somebody else uh, asked as well that uh, CJ was always interested. Notre Dame has been CJ's top school for a long time. And yep. CJ Carr has been Notre Dame's top quarterback in the 2024 class for a long time. Yep. So if anyone else is reporting something different, that also is not accurate. And I think that ties into the expedited aspect based on the way the questions have been posed to me. I've been getting so many text messages and emails say asking about this. So I'm not quite sure what the deal is, but I'm going to tell you right now that those things are not accurate. So mo- moving on, John A1 asks, is Jaden Thomas similar to Jaden Greathouse athletically? Is he someone to watch to see how they'd use that type of guy? No, I don't think so. Body type is similar. I don't sure. think athleticism is similar. Meaning sure. like six one, six two, stocky. Yeah, I, I don't think I they're similar athletically. I, I get there. Yeah, no, athletically, I would call, I would call Jaden Thomas more smooth than Jaden Greathouse, but I would call more Jaden Greathouse more physically explosive. Like he's got power out of his breaks more than Jaden, but Jaden's smoother. He's a little bit quicker, I would say, right? But Jaden Greathouse also has. What we talked about before, though, Brian, where he is, he's got that alpha to him, right? Like mm-hmm. winning above the rim, being physical at the catch point. Like he has that style to him, which I really am drawn to, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Got some more here. David Jones asks, you're saying it could be huge for the Notre Dame offense and wide receiver production if Deion Colsey's true potential can get, unlo- get, can get unlocked. Is that something Chancey can make happen, or is that between Dion's ears? I don't think it's so much about Dion's ears. I think when I think of that, I just I think that's a question of their intelligence, David. You you may not mean it that way. I'm not saying you mean it that way. I'm just saying that's how I, I view it as being used. So um, you know, maybe David means like you know learning the offense and just all that kind of stuff. Here, here's here's what it comes down to: for a player to truly reach his full potential, it requires both the coach and the player. My knock on Notre Dame in the past has been like, I felt like at times the players were doing their part, but they weren't getting the instruction that they needed to reach their full potential. That was my thing. And so for me, I think that you cannot, you cannot, Deion Colsey's not going to reach his full potential without being coached better. And, and Chancey Stuckey can coach him like there's no tomorrow and he won't reach his full potential if Dion doesn't also then embrace the coaching, apply the coaching and put in the work. You need both. You can't be great without just with just one of those things. And so it's both. The issue that I've had a receiver for so many years, Ryan, is I felt like the coaching aspect was never there. That's the reality of it. And, and until that happens, these guys aren't going to reach their full potential. It's why Chase Claypool is so raw in the NFL. He's still like play learning so much about playing receiver in the NFL. Uh, and it's because he was, he just, Chase, Chase was a second round draft pick on God given ability alone. It's why Miles Boykin has struggled in the NFL, in my opinion, because he doesn't know how to play receiver. In the NFL, they don't, they don't have time for that. Like, you, you know, they're, they're, they can't take those guys and just say, okay, yeah, we're going to, you know, maybe if you're a first round pick, but, you know, look how, look at the patience they had for Hollywood Brown. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You have to you have to know how to play, and the NFL they're not you know some a lot of teams just aren't going to take that kind of time for a receiver, and so to me you have to have both. So it's not on Chancey entirely, it's not on Dion entirely, it's on both of them, Ryan, and that's true at every position, every player on the on the at the wide receiver position. 
I think there. I think that's always how it usually. I mean, not always, but that's most of the time what it is, Brian. When there's mm-hmm. like, do you think it's this or that? It's like both. I mean, a little bit, right? Like it's not usually just one side to the coin, right? I mean, it's we already talked about it. Deion Colsey was a young kid coming out of high school. He needs to mature a little bit, both physically and from a mental capacity. I mean, it's just natural, right? Like mm-hmm. kids going from high school football where he dominated everything to college level where there's all other talented players around him. He needs to understand work ethic and how to go about his business and the process of everything. Right. So yes, of course he needs to develop in that capacity as well, but the development also needs to be better. And that mm-hmm. comes down to coach Stuckey. So I think it's both sides to it as well. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. Lucas Chapman asks, do you think kick returns and just overall special teams is going to be more aggressive? I don't know. Well, I haven't seen uh, coach what coach May is going to do. I think that at Cincinnati, they were, they blocked a lot of kicks at Cincinnati. They had they had really good returns at times. I think one year recently they finished like tenth in kick returns. A lot of times though, kick return is more. Uh, uh, let's be real. A, a good return game can't be good without a good returner nowadays. You can't game plan success in return game like you used to, because of the the way the teams punt now. Like in, in in some of the rule changes. Like in the past, you'd have to kind of block and you couldn't just run downfield on punts. Now you can just kind of take off downfield. It's I mean, you, Ryan. You, I mean, I'm. I know there's a bit of an age gap between you and I, but I think you're still old enough to remember like the wall punt return. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like we, you, we can't do that. Wall. you can't do that anymore. It just because yeah. of the nature of how you punt, the alignment of punt teams, you got to have a good returner. Kick return, you can still scheme up a little bit, but even then, you have to have a guy that's got some ability and some natural ability to do that. Mm-hmm. But if you have that guy, and I think Notre Dame should have some athletes that that should give you confidence to do that, then yeah, I would be more aggressive. I absolutely would be more aggressive this year. And I'm I'm always a believer, especially this is what I never said about Notre Dame. If you're not going to set up a return, then try to block the freaking kick. <laughs> like uh, you're not doing either. Like Notre Dame can have like four guys run downfield and just engage and then just stand there. It's like, why just run everybody back then? You know I mean? Obviously make sure the punt gets off, but stand at the line of scrimmage, make sure the punt gets off and then go. But why are you yeah. coming up field to just half-heartedly engage with one of the upbacks? I'm not worried about the flipping 6'5", 320-pound upback running down and tackling my kick return, punt returner. If I am, then I need a new flip of punt returner. So it just never – it just was like lazy. It's like just don't let them fake it, right? Like you can be aggressive and still play the fake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, you can. It's... So I would hope we see more of that. Definitely would hope we see more of that. If you're not going to set a return, then try to block the kick because that's how you could get a return. If they're worried about you blocking kicks and, hey, all you got to do is block a couple of them early in the year, and all of a sudden everybody's really worried about you, now they start keeping a couple guys in, that's how you set up a return. Because either, A, they keep more blockers in to protect, or, B, the punter starts trying to get rid of it quicker, which results in what, Ryan? Line drives. And that's the there's two great ways to get a return. The guy kicks it way too far, right, (laughs) out-kicking the coverage, coverage. right, or B, it's a line drive, and you can get that sucker with a running start, because if a punt returner can get a running start, then he can start making people miss, that's how you get big plays. So you don't even have to block the kick to impact the kick. They just have to think you're actually going to try and block the kick, and that's something I never understood about Notre Dame's punt, and I guess I understand it in Brian Brian Poyne's defense. When the head coach doesn't make special teams a priority, I, I, I get it. Right. You know, you're not going to do something that could get you in trouble and get you ripped by the head coach. That's a lot of what went on. But bump that noise. Brian Mason needs to be aggressive and Marcus Freeman needs to demand that. Like, yes, you can be fundamentally sound and aggressive. Don't give up. I mean, and and again, be smart about it. If it's fourth and one at midfield, 
I'm not sending 10. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, that's not being smart, but if it's fourth and seven and they're at their own 40 or it's midfield or whatever, yeah, I'm going after that sucker. There's no question about it. Um, and if it's fourth and one at their own 15, yeah, I'm going after that thing. You got to be smart about it, but yeah, I definitely need to be more aggressive, Ryan. Absolutely need to be more aggressive. I, I would say though, punt return used to be my favorite, my favorite time in high school though, because that, that was the play where I get to take a playoff. You mm-hmm. know, I was kind of, I was kind of like that musher. You know, oh okay, yeah, I'm taking this. It, it was great for me too because that's when I was getting ready to go back on the field as a quarterback. <laughs> so I, I play. It's funny, my my freshman year of college because I moved to receivers the first time I ever played on on special teams. I was mm-hmm. on punt block and punt return and kick return and all that. Started at receiver. Like I I had no clue how to like any of that stuff. But um I was pretty athletic and try hard, tried hard. So I they put me on like it's funny, my freshman year, the first we were playing Salisbury, the team I ended up transferring to the next year. But first kick of the game, they had this like six five, two hundred and forty pound kid, and I'm like, I'm like six foot a buck eighty. And I'm 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 running back and I'm on the front line, and then I gotta go and he just flat ran me over. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Struck me. So the next time I kind of got him on the side and drilled him and our running back kind of broke and we ended up taking one back to the house. So I got him back, but man, like you don't think about that. This dude's got a 40 yard head sprint, just full head of steam. And I'm standing there. He outweighs me like 50 pounds. I'm like, I got you. I got this. Bam. Just ran me over, man. Like man. it was nothing. I used, to, I used to love kickoff, man. Literally you get a head start and it's just running. You know, yep. when I was in, when I was, when I was coaching high school though, at least in New Jersey, they, they tried to get rid of the, well, they did get rid of the wedge a little bit. You weren't allowed to wedge anymore on kickoff return, mm-hmm. which was awful, man. Cause I was, I was kind of the wedge buster when I played, mm-hmm. you know, like I ran down and broke the wedge up, but yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. no question. Got a couple more questions here. We've got a super chat from Mark one. Do you think Michael Mayer can be a decoy to free up other players? At times, at times, yeah. I think it also needs to be reciprocated, though, and other players mm-hmm. need to take some emphasis off of Michael Mayer. But yeah, of course, Mark. At times, people are going to say, especially early in the season, they're going to be like, "87 is not beating us this year, and we don't know what else they have around him." Right? So, yeah, early on, especially, I think that he's definitely a decoy at times for sure. Yep. Here, here's another quick. Uh, I think to properly game plan with a great player. You to, a game plan is not reaching its full potential as a game plan if there aren't things that you are doing to use your best player to set something else up. In my opinion, I, I just that's my opinion. I not everybody agrees on that. I just feel like if there aren't some calls that you aren't using where we're going to do this because we're we think the defense is going to overplay it, and then that's going to set something else up. I just don't think you're game planning correctly. In in my view, if it's a pass catcher, it's different when it's a running back, but as, as a pass catcher, that's my opinion. We did have a question. Somebody said people are, were reporting they took C.J. Carr. Notre Dame took C.J. Carr because they'd fallen behind on Julian Sand. Uh, no, look, I, I'll say it again, and I'm 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 not going to keep repeating this. I'm going to say it now. This is a fact. I have shown Ryan this text message. I have a text message in February, February of a source that I have saying that C.J. Carr was the top quarterback on the board for Notre Dame in the 24 class. February. This was before because remember. When this spring or this winter, when there was the rivals report that Notre Dame was, they were predicting Julian Sand to pick Notre Dame. What do we all tell you? Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Why? Because we knew that he was not a take for Notre Dame at that time because they wanted CJ Carr. There's a reason we said that to you. So anyone reporting that is um, is just spewing off nonsense. I, I also I also put in the chat when someone put that in, Brian, just kind of reaffirming the same okay. thing. Julian okay. Sayan really liked Notre Dame. There's yes. no doubt about it. 
Notre yes. Dame liked CJ Carr more. Yes. Than That's just yes. is what it is. Notre Dame took CJ Carr for one reason because they he was their top core. The only quarterback that they had on, on his level. And even then, like, here's the thing. Dylan Rayola at the time was looking at Notre Dame and they still like CJ Carr more because they thought he was more polished. Now they, they recognize that Dylan has the better physical tools, the bigger arm and all that, but they love CJ's polish. So if there's anyone telling you that Notre Dame took CJ Carr for any reason, other than he was ready to commit and he was their top guy, I just don't think you're getting accurate information. I don't. He has been their top guy for months, which is exactly why we said like three months ago when the Julian Rayola, when the Julian saying stuff came out about him picking Notre Dame and he might commit to Notre Dame. You remember that? We said, no, that's not, that's not accurate. That's because we knew that Notre Dame was not going to take Julian saying until CJ Carr told them no. Just like they're not going to take anybody else in 2023 until Dante Moore flat out says no. That's just how it's always going to be the case. They knew who their number one quarterback in 2023 was. They knew who their number one quarterback in 2024 was. Now, if you want to disagree that they should have liked Sand or Rayola or some Jaden Davis more, that's a different conversation. But what I'm telling you is that he is Notre Dame's top quarterback, and he has been all along. He's my number two quarterback in that class, although, asterisk, I have not watched every single quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I've watched Rayola. I've watched – CJ, I've watched Julian Sand, I've watched CJ Carr, and I mean um, Jaden Davis, uh, Jaden Davis, and, and and about three or four other quarterbacks. They're considered top Adrian, guys. Adrian, Adrian Posse. Probably, I've seen right? him. Yep, the kid yeah. from Florida. Although I don't view him as a top ten quarterback, he's top ten tools, but he's not a top ten quarterback right now. Sure, uh, but I've seen him right, and Jewel, and CJ Carr is my number two quarterback behind Rayola. Rayola has the better physical tools. CJ is the more advanced player in the other areas. So, I, you know, I don't know where some of this stuff comes from. It, it seems like this year more than others, there's been a lot of rumors where I'm like, what? Like, no. And I don't know where that's coming from, to be completely honest you with should, you. If anybody out there is hearing anything, come to the message board. That's why you need to be at IB. Yep, we'll give exactly. you, and if we're not talking about it, it's because we don't have the answers yet, and we're not afraid to say it. But I'd rather people say that than to kind of, well, I heard this from someone who heard something from someone. You'll never hear us report that, ever. You'll never hear us report that. We're going to try to get as close to the situation as we can. And if we can't, we just won't put it out. So that's the that's the reality of the situation. I just some of this stuff, man, it just gets me. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ty C, how does a class of Great House, Flores, James, and Hannafin match up with Ohio State's wide receiver class? Which class would you prefer based on talent? And which class would you prefer based on Notre Dame's offensive style? So first of all, I don't really get into the whole I will per, you know who I prefer? The guys that want to play at Notre Dame. That's who I prefer. I prefer the guys that want to play at Notre Dame. The reality is, is Notre Dame doesn't have to recruit receivers as well as Ohio State. They don't. Again, Notre Dame and Ohio State had the same record last year. Same record. And I like somebody on the chest. Well, you know, Ohio State's going to beat Notre Dame because they got a better quarterback. And I'm like, yeah, I wish Notre Dame had a stud like Cade McNamara or Anthony Brown on their team. Boy, I wish they had that. You know, 
the reality is, is, is that Ohio State's going to continue to do a great job there. And they're doing a phenomenal job there. I'm not dismissing that class at all. Cardinal Tate, five-star player. To me, Brandon Innes is a top 50 player. Noah Rogers, top 100 player. Bryson Rogers is a little underrated, I think. I actually like him. He's a he he fits what they here's the interesting thing. I would argue Bryson Rogers fits their scheme better than the other three. Just his style of play. I'm not saying he's a better player, sure, but he is that Alave Garrett Wilson type of athlete, the route runner. Yeah, yeah, like six right. one, six two, skinny, good route runner, good athlete, catches the ball well. Uh, nobody's talking about that kid, and he's a good football player too. So it's a heck of a receiver class, no question about it. If I That's was pick, if I was ranking just national receiving cores, that'd be my number one class most likely. And and, and I think Ennis is a, a tad overrated, but so if he's if that tad overrated Brandon Ennis is your number two receiver, you've got a pretty darn good receiver core class, right? For sure, for sure. So, you know, just for me, it's a different group. It's a, it's a bit more of a high – here's where I would say the biggest difference is it's a much, much higher floor class than Notre Dame's. And because the high floor guys at Ohio State have higher ceilings than the high floor guys in that class for Notre Dame right there, right? I would say that like Cardinal Tate and Brandon Innes have higher floors than – Great House and Flores. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Higher I floors. Agree. Yep. But I think they also have higher ceilings. Sure. Where I think the Notre Dame class that class could end up getting on, you know, somewhat on par with with Ohio State's down the road, is I mm-hmm. think that Notre Dame's low floor guys have high have ceilings as high. Look, we were told that we we had this question on the message board because because what I hate I hate. When fans of a team change their stance on a kid when he's not looking at your team anymore. Despise me. I despise that. So we had a, it was after we had really started to hear positive vibes about Cardinal and his, after his visit, we thought, man, Notre Dame's got a shot here, right? This is back in March. Mm -hmm. One of the things we were asked is who did we feel was the best combination of, of if if we were, if we were picking receivers, who, who did we feel had the highest ceilings? And my answer at the time was Braylon James and Tyler Williams, not Carnell Tate. And mm-hmm. and so and at the time we didn't view Ronan Hannafin as a receiver prospect. He was still in sort of that athlete category because this is back in March. Ryan, you and I were having this conversation the other day. I think Ronan Hannafin's, um, I think Ronan Hannafin's ceiling is higher as is as almost as high as Braylon James. It's in the conversation. So I think that's where Notre Dame could get there. But again, Notre Dame doesn't have to get there. They don't have to out-recruit them there because they're going to way out-recruit Ohio State at tight end, right? They just got to keep recruiting elite linemen and find that elite quarterback, and they're going to be fine and continue to out-recruit Ohio State on defense. That's going to be the key. I want to respond to something that somebody said, James Lawrence Zenzi, you can't compare C.J. Stroud to the Michigan quarterbacks. You're, you're not paying attention, right? The comment was Notre Dame can't play with Ohio State because they don't have a quarterback that can beat them, right? Because, you know, C.J. Stroud's a great player. My comment was, gee, I wish Notre Dame had a player like Cade McNamara or Anthony Brown. They beat Ohio State last year. That's the point, James. That's what we're saying, right? It's not saying, well, they have a guy just as good as C.J. Stroud. The point is, Cade McNamara is not even the same universe as C.J. Stroud. Anthony Brown's not even the same universe as, as, as C.J. Stroud. But you know what they both have? Wins over Ohio State. Convincing wins over Ohio State. Because why? This isn't a seven-on-seven league. 
That's the whole point. When Ohio State got beat twice last year, Ryan, where did they get beat? They put up yards. They put up a ton of yards passing. Why did they get beat? Because football still is about tackling and hitting and running and doing all, and playing in the trenches. Yep. I mean, that that Oregon game specifically, I remember C.J. Verdell ran all over Ohio yes. State. Like, yes. man. Yes. <laughs> and then, then C.J. Verdell um, yeah. proceeded to go undrafted into the yeah. NFL, which is pretty funny. And, yeah. and he said, who was the home team, Brian? I'm pretty sure Ohio State was the home team against Oregon. That's not a good comeback. And with all due respect, Michigan's had about nine straight home games in a row where they've lost to Michigan or Ohio State. So come on, James. Like, just admit, hey, I misunderstood your point. Just, it's okay to say that. You misunderstood my point. The fact is, is if if Cade McNamara and Anthony Brown, who, by the way, Ryan, completed less than 50% of his passes in that win over Ohio State, can beat Ohio State, then yes, why am I an insane person for thinking that Notre Dame can beat him with Tyler Buckner, a top 100 quarterback coming out of high school? Come on, man. And yes, the home team was Ohio State. Not Oregon, right, Ryan? Well, it was in Columbus, correct? I'm I'm looking it up. Oh, right and now. by the oh, it was. I I know that for a fact. Oh, you know. And, okay. Oh, yes, I was being sarcastic. And and they also didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo in that game either. By the way, just one point. I know. I, I know. I know. Thibodeau didn't play that game. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So and yep. Correct. Amundo. Here we go. Truman. Du- Truman Dumel. I haven't seen you in a while, Truman. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for the super chat. As Rico Flores, the top wide receiver. Uh, is Rico Flores the top wide receiver prospect? Ohio State is fool's gold. Also talk about Michigan doing nothing in recruiting. Well, um, I'm not quite sure what you're asking there, Truman, to be honest with you on that first part. Uh, All I know is Ohio State's landing a very, 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 very good receiving core. I'm not going to try to tear it down at all. Uh, It is, to me, right now, the best receiving core in the country, and Ohio State fans should rightfully be fired up about it. My whole point is if you're going to ask me who would I rather have, I would always pick the guys that want to be at Notre Dame. Sure. I mean, that's why I don't get into the whole, I wish I could trade this guy for that guy thing. You know, it's like, well, that guy didn't want to be at Notre Dame. And so it's a different conversation. So uh, Michigan doing nothing in recruiting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been one of the weirdest things ever, right? Like they made a playoff run and they're, it's not benefiting them all in recruiting at all. At all. At all. And it's all it it's all boils down to Jim Harbaugh burned all the good vibes they had on could have had on the recruiting trail because they they were finishing strong in 2022, but his flirting with the Vikings in the NFL actually cost them a couple kids down the stretch. They had a defensive lineman that they lost down the stretch. There was one other kid, I believe, that they lost down the stretch as well. And then of course their 2023 2023 class is just brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about a team that just made a playoff run. And and you know they're putting together the class that they have now. It's uh, it's problematic. But I mean, that's the thing is, why would you want to go play for a coach who made it very clear he doesn't necessarily want to be there? Right. You know, that's really where it all comes from. And it's 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 bizarre. I mean, I would argue that Cincinnati's recruiting on a similar level to Ohio State right now, if not out recruiting Cincinnati to, to, right mi- to Michigan to Michigan to Michigan. Right? Yeah, Michigan. Yeah. yeah. I said did yeah. I say Ohio State? Yeah. I meant I meant Michigan. Matter of fact. Right now, Cincinnati has the number four recruiting class in the country on rivals. Now, part of that's it's, crazy. They have twenty players, but they have four. They have four four star commits in their class. Michigan's class currently ranks thirty fourth. They also have four four star commits in the class. Huh. So, um, yeah, it's it's been 
it's been a little problematic, but again, that's kind of what happens when you kind of blow all your momentum on your flirtations with the NFL. I had, that's kind of what happened in Notre Dame in 2023, or I mean, uh, 2012, because they had that great 2013 class. And then the next year in the 2014 class, it was a very disappointing class because a lot of it was there was all these rumblings about Brian Kelly in the NFL and all the other kind of stuff, if you remember that correctly. And it hurt them the next year, uh, big time. Big time. This, uh, this chat's killing me today, man. The chat is? Yeah. What's what's going on now? Uh, we're talking about oh, weather conditions. Now it's weather conditions. Okay. <laughs> I, just I just can't, man. Just, yeah. Let's let's blame yeah, weather conditions in the north. What what about the weather conditions against against Ohio State and Oregon? Beautiful sunny day, <laughs> no rain. I mean, come on, y'all. Like, give me a break. Ugh. Jay Henry, I feel like Love and Bell would be amazing punt and kick returns. We're obviously talking about Jeremiah Love and Micah Bell. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I think a spe- like Jeremiah Love for me just pops as a kick returner real quick because like he's a one cut and like go type of guy. I know he's got a little more change of direction mm-hmm. too than just selling him like that way, but kick returner absolutely. Micah Bell is a kick and a punt returner because I think that he can make the first guy miss and he's got some juice. So mm-hmm. agree, Jay. Agree completely there. Yep, no question. Let's get down to Kay Grant with a super chat. I'm going to say this. Actually, I want to stay on this for a second. I think that's something that we need to talk a little bit more about. I think that that's something that you're continuing to see this trend is Notre Dame is adding more dynamic athletes that can make an impact beyond just one side of the ball. And it's not it's not two-way players because right. the reality is it's hard to have a legitimate two-way player. It really is. And have him actually be good enough to go out and like you may have a two way player that can go out and help you beat BC and Syracuse and UNLV and North Carolina and teams like that. But I don't know unless he's just a freaky Charles Woodson kind of guy. If you're going to have that kind of guy help you beat Ohio State and Clemson and Bama and Georgia. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, Ryan, but that's kind of how I feel. Where you can have a guy make like a defensive player make an impact is this right here. It's in the return game, we have seen that. We have seen defensive players become dynamic return men. And I think that is where you could see that. And that's what I really like about guys like – and even Christian Gray is a punt returner. He's a pretty mm-hmm. smooth punt returner. I wouldn't put him as a kick returner. But like Micah Bell, he can return return kicks, no question about it, right? I mean, yep. Peyton Bowen, talking about punt returns and kick returns. Peyton Bowen's another guy that, I, they- that, that I give that shot to. No question. If, if, if they get Micah Tease, he would be a really good punt returner. It's another too, well, but he, yeah. he's an offensive guy. Oh, you're just talking right? strictly defense. I'm more – yeah. de- right, because the thought is defensive guys that can help out on offense more so than the other Got way it. around, right? Because an offensive guy is going to get his chance to make plays on the football because he's an offensive guy. I was more referring to. But you're correct. Micah Tease could be that guy as well. I mean, so, he wouldn't be my first choice either, but I, I even think Braylon James could return punts if he felt like it. Like, he, he would do fine. Yeah, and he's a pretty good opinion. kick returner in high school because he's just – he's kind of quick and strong and and those mm-hmm. type of things. So, all right. Here we go. Kay Grant with a super chat. Thank you, Kay Grant. Can't stay but wanted to drop in and leave a super chat. Thank you. Can't wait to watch this later, and thanks for the intel on the board. You are welcome. Thank you, sir. Cole Barker with a question. I think this is an interesting question. I'm curious to get your thoughts. I'm going to let you answer it first, Ryan, because I have some thoughts on this. Yep. Can Ronan Hannafin become a Jeff Samarja type of player? Can he have a similar impact to Jeff Samarja? Sure. Like, I, I think that he can be that type of player that's, I mean, down the line, if you told me that Ronan Hannafin becomes a thousand yard receiver for Notre Dame, I'd be like, okay, yeah, like he had that type of upside. I think he's a completely different player than Samarja, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
They're sized similarly, sort of. Ronan's a little shorter, maybe a little more denser, obviously, at this age than compared to a Samarja. Samarja was more, I have very good length. I'm going to win back shoulder on you. I'm going to win contested catches. I have some smoothness to me, but I'm more a big guy right, receiver, right? Ronan mm-hmm. Hannafin is a better athlete than Jeff Samarja. Was, more explosive for sure. Quick-footed, quick-footed, yeah. yeah. Quick-footed and explosion. Like, he's a guy that at 6'3", 200-plus pounds, can take the top off a of defense despite being mm-hmm. that big. Like, he has a little more – it's just a different type of player. Yeah. Impact-wise, yes. I, I I pretty much agree with your answer, Ryan. Impact-wise, mm-hmm. could he be the type of player Jeff Smarge was as a receiver? Yeah, production-wise, absolutely. I don't know if he'll have, like, the 15 touchdowns like Jeff did because a lot of those were, like, the back shoulders the six, because he was a 6'5 guy and obviously run is not that big. But, yeah, could he be a 70-catch, 1,200-yard guy with 10-plus touchdowns? Sure. He would just get to it a lot, a lot differently. I think he's a more uh, twitchy athlete. And Jeff was really smooth. Like, Jeff was kind of – he like he, I've heard a lot of other fans say, boy, I wish he would have played NFL. And I'm like, no way. Like, he, he's a, he made a lot more money in, in Major League Baseball than he would have made in the NFL. Because he just – and we saw it in the big games, right? Like, we saw it against LSU. We saw it against USC – in 2006 where they had better corner play is I guess the way to say it. And Jeff had a hard time getting any separation, especially in the 06, uh, the sugar bowl against LSU. He had really hard time getting separation because he just wasn't a real twitchy athlete, real smooth athlete, great ball skills, very skilled overall, but he just wasn't an elite. When I say elite athlete, I mean for a wide receiver. I mean, he was an elite athlete in general because the guy could have played in the NFL to some degree, and he was a professional baseball player. He was an elite athlete, but I'm more referring to the skill set of receiver. He wasn't that twitchy guy that was going to do a great job getting separation. Could Jeff Samarja have played in the NFL? Yes. Would he have been a starter in the NFL? I, 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 don't, I just don't think that he was that kind of player. Ronan Hannafin has more of that athleticism. Now, he doesn't have – he has to learn the the skill that Jeff Samarja brought to the table. That's the thing. Jeff knew how to get open. He knew how to maximize his athleticism. He had great ball skills, and he was super long. I mean, I still remember – you remember in 05, that diving catch, that diving one-handed catch he made against Purdue? And he, him and most of all, that was just – I mean, you did not have to be an accurate quarterback at all to complete passes to those cats. I mean, um, it was Murray- insane. Maurice Stovall was an alien, man. He's, yes. I remember, yes. I, I remember I looked at his wingspan. I think he had like 33 and a half inch arms or something like that. On nuts. top of being 6'5", like nuts, man. Nuts. Yeah. nuts. His catch radius was, was yeah. Yes. Yes. So I uh, I would definitely I would definitely say he's not as twitchy and as explosive as Ronan Hannafin was. So I just think that, it, which means their style of play would be different. Production similar. But I just I think the one area where I just don't see Ronan matching Samarja would be the touchdowns because of that. His length and the ball skills were just really impressive, really impressive. And uh, and I mean Jeff had ten plus. He had what twelve touchdowns in two thousand six. Ryan, I, I'm gonna look that up because I I think he had more touchdowns in two thousand. Um, let me. It's Jeff Samarja college stats. Let me just pull this up real quick. So. He had, yes, he had 15 touchdowns in 05, 12 in, in 2006. I think a big part of that, too, is if you go back and watch games, teams were game planning in, against him in the red zone, and he still had 12 touchdown catches. Like his 12, you could argue his 12 touchdown catches were every bit as impressive as his 15 the year before because teams were, I mean, nobody really knew who Jeff Samarja was going into the 2012 season. I mean, 2005 season. Like 
he had he, he had 17 catches for 274 yards the year before had never scored a touchdown like who who the heck knew who Jeff Samarja was before he made that diving touchdown catch against Pitt I mean Notre Dame fans kind of knew but you I guarantee we'd had that well he's just a three-star you know conversation back then right uh but I mean they game plan for him a lot more in 06 and that was the key you know that was the key for him was he just had those had great great length so uh some of these comments are just making no sense to me today yeah ryan i i, I get where you're coming from yeah so uh that is going to do it for today's show the the chat's been a little wild today uh yes this is this is the one this is the play i saw about mace this is like before that who really knew who jeff samarja was like because i remember watching that play from behind like they show the highlight and it looks like brady stone like right to a linebacker in the end zone or something like that and then samarja just comes out of nowhere and it's like you know and just catches it and like the he had that he had a great over the shoulder catch uh was it an over no it was a back shoulder catch against usc in 05 you remember that one uh, which it was in the first half. I think he put Notre Dame up, and he starts grabbing the the. They had the gold. They had the uh, dome on the jersey, and he starts grabbing that and showing that. That's what him and Zibby did. They would grab that and like point it to the camera. He had in set. I mean the 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 uh, catch radius that Brady Quinn had to throw to for two years with Samarja, Stovall, Rama, Anthony Fasano, and John Carlson was just absurd. It's nuts, man. It's yep. absolutely absurd. Rima was the smallest one. What was he like? Six one, six two, six one and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that was that was a short guy. That was a small guy of the outside guys. I mean, they had like David Grimes and Matt Shelton in the slots, but like those guys were afterthoughts. I mean, they were bubble screens, quick stuff like that. I mean, you had Fasano was six five. John Carlson's like six six. It was pretty nuts. Interlocking ND. Okay, somebody said it was interlocking ND. I thought it was the dome, but he said interlocking ND. Uh, so anyway, it was, uh, that was a fun group to watch. It's a very, very fun group to watch. Ryan, that's going to do it for today's show. So that is, that is, uh, obviously the mailbag as my Mace AK, my guy Mace AK points out, join the message board, everybody. You are not going to, you're not going to miss out on that. Hit that like button, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Share this podcast, leave a five-star review, visit the IB store for some sweet merch. We were talking about the sweatpants yesterday, Ryan. I, have I sent you a pair of sweatpants yet? from okay i gotta send you a pair of ib sweatpants because they are incredibly comfortable uh and uh, we were discussing that on the message board yesterday and as always everybody go irish thanks for joining the show everybody we will be back tomorrow ryan and i will be back tomorrow uh actually no Ryan, vince and i will be back tomorrow uh and then of course on friday we will have another uh friday mailbag and then friday afternoon we're gonna have a special recruiting show where we will cover the the decision by Jack Larson, 2024 tight end Jack Larson, who will be announcing his commitment on Friday to Notre Dame. I forget who did they list. The NC State's another one of the finalists, right? North Carolina was one of the finalists. I'm trying to remember who were listed as the finalists for Jack. So let me just if you give, this. If you give me one second, I'll be able to pull it up. Let's see here. So he had Notre Dame. Had Clemson. NC, yep. yeah, Clemson, Notre Dame, Clemson, Michigan, North Carolina, and NC State were the others. Yep. So, yep, those are the guys on the list. And then uh, next Wednesday, Cam Williams will make his decision, and we'll go live for that one as well. You said that's going to be 8 p.m.? Jack Larson's going to be at 5 p.m., Yep. right? Friday at 5 p.m., so we'll, we'll go live at 5. And then uh, Wednesday we'll have – so we're going to have some stuff. And then, of course, the next week is that July 1st to 4th, 
period where we'll have a lot of shows. That's going to be a busy weekend, Ryan. That's going to be a very, very busy weekend. So mm-hmm. we'll have three commitments. What Micah Bell scheduled to make his decision on July 1st. Rico Flores will announce his decision between Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Georgia. That's all, Notre Dame and Ohio State on July 3rd. And then Christian Gray will decide between Notre Dame, LSU. I don't even tell you who Michael Micah Bell's other finalists are. I have no clue. But Christian Gray, we know it's LSU, Ohio State are the two top contenders for that one. Um, yep. So we'll, we'll have all of those kind of things. So that's going to do it today, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you all again tomorrow. Thank you for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast.